the Laps Factor Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? You are watching episode 101 of the Lax Factor Lacrosse Podcast. Today, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about here. We got Hopkins. They can't stay out of the headlines. They've got new coach, new coaches. They've got players that were in the portal that aren't in the portal anymore. Cole Williams. And then um, we also have a Q's transfer heading to Hopkins, ditching the Q's for a rival Hopkins. We got um, Brian Costabile and Notre Dame news. Costabile not coming back to Notre Dame. We're going to talk about Eric Holden uh, from Hobart. He's decided where he's heading. And once again, it just sticks with the theme of the rich continue to get richer. And then we're going to talk about the PLL, the two-round draft. PLL's only taken 14 guys this year. So we'll talk a little bit about that. I'll pick my top three just shooting from the hip, although I have absolutely no idea who uh, who's going to get taken and when. Uh, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. Share this video with your friends. The best thing you can do to try to help us out is like the video, share the video across uh, whatever social media platforms you have. Just let people know what we're doing here and what we're going to do, and it's official. We are going to start rocking longer-form uh, podcasts. Slowly but surely, we're going to start rocking. Right now, I think we're trying to get up to the 30-minute mark for each show, and uh, by the end of this and by maybe by the time we get the PLL rolling, we may end up trying to do an hour per show so we're going to try to get into one really long 30 to 60 minute show per week and once we get that flow going then we're going to start popping up additional shows and we'll try to do a college specific a pro specific we're even probably going to end up doing a Syracuse specific so that's what we're working on here but uh, as always you can go to laxfactor.com get yourself some swag hats t-shirts I got dope stuff all up in there regular lacrosse related stuff as well as podcast uh, and brand related things so Let's get into it. Uh, first thing I want to talk about, Hopkins. They cannot stay out of the headlines lately. And, I mean, that's kind of what you're going for in terms of a, a new recruiting push, a media blitz when you get a new coach is you try to get the, the program out there and there's a lot of nose, uh, nose, newsworthy things that happen when you hire a new coach. You get new coaches. You have players leave and come in. So, it's yeah, there's going to be some bad press surrounding some of the players that entered the portal and that are leaving. Ray Pine's leaving, but he was going to leave anyway. Um, and then you had Cole Williams enter the portal literally within you know hours of, of Petro uh, it being announced that Petro was gone. So that happens. But then you have all sorts of other good things that happen. You have those new coaches bring in new players and you have the, the new coach bringing in new coaches. And that's what Hopkins has been doing. They've been doing a good job of keeping the program out there in the news in front of everybody. And the first big news, and this is since the new uh, coaching hire, is uh, Cole Williams entered the transfer portal within hours of Petro getting fired, and he has now removed himself from the transfer portal. So him and his 122 career points will be returning to Hopkins for 2021. Uh, it's good news for Hopkins that he's staying put. They need him. Six foot five, 250 pounds. Even though he did shave off his beautiful locks, he was looking to have a really good 2020. Uh, 79 goals, 43 helpers, 122 points overall. Volume shooter. Kid puts up 100-plus shots the last two seasons, only burying 25% of them, but he's a, a volume shooter, a solid player, team leader. There's no world in which Hopkins isn't just absolutely delighted that he's coming back. Big Dodger. Kid can go to the rack. Kid can create for himself. He can shoot off ball. Uh, there's pretty much he's a complete player, and that's going to help them. As you can see, he can dish as well as score. So that's all huge. Other news for Johns Hopkins. John Grant Jr. is going to be the Blue Jays' offensive coordinator in 2021. He's been coaching on and off 
ever since he left Delaware. He was a first-team All-American his senior year at Delaware. He then uh, was a graduate assistant coach after graduating from Delaware. He's spent time as a high school coach winning uh, state championships at, where was it, Valor Christian High School in Colorado in 2016 and 2017. He was the offensive coordinator more recently at Air Force, and that was big news surrounding the Air Force program when he was brought on in that capacity. Just one of the best lacrosse players to ever play the game professionally. A lot of people say he was one of the best all-time college lacrosse players. Eh, I would say that, yes, obviously in hindsight he was, but he wasn't that guy that everybody was talking about. He didn't have Mike Powell college lacrosse um, a resume in, in, in that way, but in, at the pro level, very few have ever done it better, both indoor and outdoor. Grant is one of the best professional lacrosse players, both indoor and outdoor, and that's key. He broke the all-time points record held by Rabel, uh, last season for the Denver Outlaws, it was almost as if the the MLL brought Grant Jr. back just to piss on Rabel's uh, all-time points record because obviously they couldn't have their chief competitor also be their all-time leading scorer. So hats off to Grant for that. Dynamic finisher, one of the most creative lacrosse players to ever play the game. He was kind of the pioneer uh, of, of really getting silly with it in terms of just ways to score goals. And I suspect if you talk to the Thompsons, they may even throw a a Grant Jr. reference. I always bring up the Thompsons with creativity because by far uh, um, Lyle Thompson's the most creative lacrosse player to ever play the game. Just the ways that he went about scoring goals were ridiculous. And Grant Jr. was kind of the pioneer of that, that, that playing style uh, played Juco ball. Anytime I get a guy that played Juco ball, because I was a NJCAA coach at Broome community college, I always like to bring that up. So he played, I always forget where he played and I believe it was Moville Morrisville, back in the days when they were a, a NJCAA team. And if it wasn't Morrisville and I'm getting it wrong and it'll piss people off, it was Cobleskill. But I'm pretty sure it was Mo, Mo, uh, Morrisville. Uh, so just a huge pickup, just another really you know great way to stay in the press, great hire, and he will definitely help that team both in the recruiting uh, and as well as just being a smart offensive-minded uh, player. And then up more news for Hopkins. Cuse, uh, long stick midfielder Fernandez transferring to Hopkins as well. He's a solid long stick mid. He's he's small. He's one of the wee folk. But uh, it was I was sad to see him enter the portal. But understood. Syracuse has a really crowded off uh, defensive midfield. Uh, they're they're hurting at close D at this moment. Although they just picked up a transfer, I believe from Gettysburg, a D three kid that will probably contribute. But yeah, sad to see Fernandez go. But it was getting crowded, and he was to a degree splitting time. Uh, with with two, uh, with another guy, even with um, the Ginger Wonder down playing close defense, so I suspect he just didn't want you know if they ever brought the Ginger Wonder back up to uh, LSM, then he was there. Were, there was three guys that were battling for time there, so I understand the move and best of luck to him. And then sad to see David Lipka, uh, Syracuse midfielder, second line mid, played first line mid last year while Dordovic was out, had a great season, twenty four points I think, twenty plus points last year from the midfield as a first-line mid filling in for Dordovic, but obviously with Tromboli coming back and now for 2021, it just it makes sense for him to get the hell out of Dodge and play his graduate year somewhere else as well. He may even have two years of eligibility left, but don't quote me on that. So really sad to see Libka go. And obviously just because you enter the portal does not mean that you will eventually transfer as we see with Cole Williams. So as long as Libka doesn't end up at Hopkins, I, I won't be too mad. Uh, 
Costabile, Brian freaking Costabile, one of my favorite midfielders, one of the best midfielders in Division One, the best midfielder probably to ever play the game for Notre Dame. He is not going to come back to Notre Dame for his super senior season. Number 26 will be heading to the PLL, it looks like, and I, I don't envision a world where he doesn't get drafted. I, I assume he'd end up being a top five pick. This kid can score goals, 42 goals. Uh, to just six helpers in 2019, first team All-American. Uh, so far in the 2020 shortened season, he was at 15 and 10. Uh, second team All-American in the shortened season, which is stupid. I mean, Costabile is one of the best three midfielders in the country, hands down. It was dumb that they didn't give him the first team nod in that way. 17 goals as a freshman even. So, I mean, the guy, he's the most prolific midfielder in Notre Dame history. He was a factor from the very first day that he stepped on campus for Notre Dame and uh, just a, an incredible downhill dodger. He's not this crazy dodge, re-dodge, dodging threat. The, I always compare him and Doc Aitken and they're very different players, even though they're both just totally prolific goal-scoring midfielders. Aiken's a little bit more of a dodger, in the sense that he's definitely more of an offensive creator. It was going to dish a little bit more. Costabile's more of a get me open, run me off a pick, get my hands free so that I can rip shots. What In terms of his on-the-run shooting, shooting while running down the alley, shooting while sweeping across the top, shooting off balance, shooting off one leg, the guy, nobody does it better. This guy has a ridiculous shot while on the move. Just like his, If you watch him when he's shooting, his ability – to get his hands free and then get that hip turned into the shot as he's letting it rip while his feet are doing something completely different. His upper body and core strength is pretty incredible. So uh, an insanely good shooter while on the run, but also guy has an absolute cannon shoot smoke, put smoke on cage while he's ripping rope uh, as a spot shooter, shooting from out top, shooting from off ball. So he is just one of the best midfielders in the game over the course. Since he was a sophomore, pretty much, I put him right up there as one of the top 10 midfielders in the country. The kid can play ball. Last year as a junior, he was, if not the best midfielder in the country, one of the top two midfielders in the country last year, and he was going to be one of the top two or three midfielders in the country this year. It's hard with these guys where once you're a midfielder like him and Aiken, and then you have other weapons, especially on the attack, starting to pop up. It is hard to get your touches and your points, especially when you're drawing the pole. Sometimes, you know, I mean, when you're drawing the best defender on a team as a midfielder and you're not used to that kind of pressure, it screws your game up a little bit. So I think that with guys like him and Aiken, they may not have produced the crazy points that they had been used to producing because at some point the known quantity factor creeps in. And with Costabile, he didn't have nearly as much help around him as Aiken did. In Aiken's case, the help around him helped freed him up at times, but it also made it hard to get the ball and eat. And in Costabile's case, there was plenty of uh, burn and, and chances to go to the rack. But when you're just getting beat on and teed up by whatever their best defender is, it makes it a little bit more difficult. But still insane. One of the best midfielders to do it. And he will be taking his talents to the PLL. So I wish him the best of luck. But for Notre Dame, the good news is they lose their best player, but they gain a couple of pen transfers in Fogo, Kyle Gallagher, and defender Kyle Thornton. They're getting the Kyles. Notre Dame's picking up the Kyles from Penn. Gallagher, one of the best faceoff guys to do it, period. Third team All-American 2019 was number 16. His Gallagher's 2019 season was the 16th best 
face-off percentage for a player all time. So we're seeing, like I said, kind of the renaissance of face-off guys. And, you know, top the top three or four guys now are all top 20 guys all time at the face-off dot because these dudes just do it differently. You put any of these guys back 10, 15, 20 years ago, they're going to hang with everybody in the country. Uh, so, I mean, we, we are seeing a weird time for face-off talent where it's just the training for face-off guys and the specialty of that position has gone off the chart so it's like they don't want to be called fogos anymore even though that's what the bulk of them still are face-off get off uh they want to be face-off athletes and you know i'll give them that too but i'm going to call them fogos from time to time as well just easier and fogo sounds cool so they pick up gallagher that is a huge pickup one of the top five transfers in my mind uh all off season here so they pick him up and that's big and then thornton 24 GBs, 12 cost turnovers in 2019, started every game for Penn. I believe he started a bunch of games as a sophomore as well. So he is a good physical defender that will help make Notre Dame better as well. So they picked up two starting. Uh, the faceoff guy, Gallagher, he's obviously going to be their faceoff guy. They, they, I forget who the faceoff guy is for Notre Dame, but he's a 50, 50% guy, 53 or something like that. So Gallagher is a huge upgrade there. And then Notre Dame's always strong on defense, but Thornton is a starting quality pole. Uh, so I'm not pretending that he's just going to start and walk onto that team and, and be one of their best poles, but it's the, you know, the depth is now there because you've added him and there's a good chance that he ends up starting at close D um, for Notre Dame. Other transfer news, because we just have a bunch of dudes transferring all over the place. One of my favorite transfer prospects out of Hobart, Eric Holden, has chosen his new school, and he chose the Terps. He is heading to Maryland. He's actually an attackman, I believe, at Hobart, but I believe pretty much he's a prototypical midfielder, especially in an offense like Maryland's. Huge pickup for the Terps. I'd assume uh, th that he brings quality and experience that will likely result in burn. I think you will see him play 150 points over 3.3 years at Hobart. 20 goals, 8 assists, and 28 points in just 5 games in 2020 early in the season. Had a really big game against Syracuse. Um, that kind of put him on the map nationally, even though uh, as a Syracuse fan and an upstate guy, I've known about Holden for a while. Uh, was put on the Twarton, Twat, Twat, uh, Twarton watch list. So he's a kid that Maryland gains that has national uh, eyeballs, you know, eyeballs on him nationally. Great lacrosse player. Uh, strong two-handed Dodger, which is why they say that whatever he did at Hobart is going to translate well into playing midfield anywhere else he goes. Over the course of 2019, he racked up 45 goals, 22 helpers and 67 points. Uh, that was good for Hobart's single-season points record and their single-season goals record. So the Terps just picked themselves up a legit, legit-ass finisher, and uh, that's going to be good news for Holden. That's good news for the Terps. Uh, bad news for anybody that was hoping that he stayed closer to upstate and uh, maybe picked a, a Cornell, or I guess he can't pick a Cornell, but like a Syracuse or an Albany or something like that. But either way, the Terps just got a lot better, and that's the second really high-quality offensive uh, talent that the Terps have picked up in the transfer portal because they also picked up Griffin Brown from Colgate, who to me, as I recall, him and Holden kind of look similar and play similar. Brown's going to be a big shooter, another big body, solid body. So man, two high quality lacrosse players with a ton of experience. It's not like they're adding a really good rookie that you don't know quite how that's going to translate between his freshman and sophomore year. They picked up two solid guys that you could put on the field in just about any system with lacrosse IQs, with talent, with experience. So, and more importantly, with experience leading teams that they played for. 
So two really high quality lacrosse players that, that the Terps picked up and uh, makes me a little sad. But what we're seeing is a continuation here of the Blue Bloods getting a little bit. Um, Syracuse kind of won the offseason transfer by picking up Chase Scanlon last year. And now we're seeing the Terps. Uh, and then UNC with Chris Gray. Now we're seeing Duke pick up Sowers. We're seeing Maryland pick up a couple of tough midfielders and other players. Uh, you know, So we're seeing Notre Dame pick some people up. So the ACC and the Big Ten thus far have been, been the big winners. More importantly, it's been Duke um, and Maryland, uh, in my mind, that have kind of so far made the most noise in this transfer portal age. More news. PLL, as we talked about in the 100th episode, the PLL is about to be upon us. And uh, I was sitting here thinking it was only a month and a half away, but now I realize it was July to August that they're playing. So we've got a little bit longer to wait. But two rounds, uh, the draft is coming up, and it's going to just be two rounds, 14 players. So only 14 players are being snagged up by the PLL out of the the batch of college prospects this year, which which that's actually – it works out well because, A, the PLL didn't need them because they did just pick up a buttload of MLL guys that are moving from the MLL to the PLL. So they had that – that uh, I forget what they call it. It was an expansion draft or – they had some sort of draft surrounding picking up the PLL uh, – the MLL guys. And they didn't need a lot of guys, and now with you have a lot of the seniors – and the college across level going back to uh, play their their super senior years or whatnot, the pool of college players is definitely smaller. Guys like TD Erlin, uh, guys like Sowers that you would have expected to be top five picks are not even in consideration anymore. And then I think the other weird part is I think some of these players uh, – I don't know what they're doing. You know, what's Michael Krause doing? He'd be a top five pick, I would presume. Uh, or what's Docs Aitken doing? Uh, he'd be a top five pick. So some of these guys have kind of announced that they're not coming back and others haven't. So I presume the PLL guys are going to be in touch and they're going to have a better idea than we do. But it will be good to see. It'll be fun to see who gets drafted and who decides to stay and then what happens. I know that the players, uh, I believe, I don't know if you draft someone that decides to stay if they get put back in the pool or if you retain rights to that guy the following year. But either way, two rounds, 14 players, only college departing seniors are eligible. The draft order, and I'm using my phone here because my stupid um, uh, tablet was dead when I opened it up this morning. Uh, round one goes, the order goes Archers at number one, Atlas at two, Water Dogs, Chrome, Chaos, Redwoods, and Whip Snakes. And then for the second round, we have Water Dogs, Chrome, Atlas, Archers, Chaos, Redwoods, and the Whip Snakes. Uh, I think if I'm to look at the order here, I would presume based on need that the Archers, they don't have any, I mean, they have a couple of really good attackmen, but and they don't necessarily have a huge need for a feeder, although I've seen a couple of people say that that's exactly what they need. I think that's just people trying to justify the fact they're going to take Amet. I think Grant Amet is the best player in this draft, so I think Grant Amet ends up being the number one draft pick by the Archers. Uh, and, and there's no world in which his skill set doesn't help them because I think that you're we're all used to seeing Amet primarily just be a facilitator, feeder, but I think at the PLL level, you're going to see his goal-scoring prowess pick up a little bit, especially where this team doesn't have – it's not like they're going to take him and then pair him with two of the best off-ball uh, lacrosse players that uh, the world has ever seen. Uh, or maybe does Brown play for the for the Archers? I can't remember. Either way, either way, Grant Amat is going to tear it up for the Archers, and he is going to be that number one pick, I think. I think the number two pick, and as I looked at what the Atlas needed, I feel like the Atlas has an aging midfield, and I know their needs – from what I've read, are both at the midfield and at defense. All these rosters, though, could use talent, period. I think they need to take the, the best available players no matter what happens. But I like number two being Brian Costabile. I think there's other midfielders that may fit that better. I think a Docs Aitken 
would probably fit the Atlas and what they need more because those two-way midfielders and Aiken, I think, is a little bit more of a two-way midfielder are key at this level. But we know that Costa Beal's available and wants to play in the PLL, so I feel like that he'd be pretty safe. He's good between the boxes, not quite Doc's Aiken good, although he'd probably say, what the hell do you know? Uh, so maybe he is really that good when given the opportunity. And uh, But offensively, guys off the charts, a shooter, uh, a dodger, uh, and young with legs. So I think that he would make the, the Atlas a lot better. And then number three, Water Dogs, I think they go defense. I think that when you're trying to build a solid team, and I look at their team, they could use a no pole is necessarily a shutdown pole anymore at the PLL level, just like no offense, like a guy like Connor Fields isn't going to just trash on everybody because these are the best of the best of the best. But I feel like at number three, Nick Mellon goes to the Water Dogs because Mellon, his he's an incredible position defense, a system defender. He can shut down players as well where the matchup, everyone remembers the Pat Spencer drubbing that he took, but no one remembers the beatings that he gave Jeff Teat uh, when him and Jeff Teat did battle when Syracuse and Cornell would play, and Jeff Teat, one of the best attackmen to play the game, period, at all levels. And so I, I think that Mellon is going to be an incredible PLL defender, and I think the PLL guys understand that Nick Mellon makes your defense better from day one because you put him on a team with three other guys that are as good as him, or some of them may even be better, he is going to absolutely kill it, guarding the number twos, guarding the number threes, even guarding number ones he'll do well in the PLL scheme. Uh, my only gripe with Mellon ever was just that on the the games where he didn't respect the number one guy he was charged with guarding, he'd tend to try to help others too much and he would get beat off ball a little bit. So I picture you put him on a Jeff T, even I think he would have matched up well with a Michael Sowers. Uh, he would have played well in holding his own in those matchups. I think what would happen is if you're playing a Hobart or a Colgate, he was a little bit more disinterested maybe in the guy that he was guarding, and he would tend to get beat off ball a little bit. He would shade to help a little bit, and his guy ends up sniping shots that normally he would never give a guy like Teat that much room to catch and release. So that was my only complaint with Mellon. Mellon, one of the best defenders in Division One lacrosse for two or three years going now. And I think last year he was hobbled a little bit, and they didn't really talk about that. So I think that uh, Nick Mellon is going to be the number three pick to the Water Dogs. Those are my just off-the-hip top three. I, I obviously could be really wrong. I think I nailed the Grant Amet, and I actually do like that pick of Mellon going to the Water Dogs, but just as easily Mellon could end up going to the Atlas at number two, or he could drop into the second round. But I think those three guys, all of them are getting taken as uh, the two of the top 14 players available for sure. I don't think there's any chance that they're not going to. Um, other things surrounding the PLL is logistically here where as we're trying to kind of see what's happening uh they're going to put everybody in a quarantine before the whole thing starts and then they're going to get people down there and watch the crap out of them and test them and and everyone's going to be constantly monitored so in terms of being able to pull this off i've seen a lot of people are pessimistic that this is even going to happen that maybe some of this is just a a really intelligently planned pu publicity stunt and even if it doesn't end up going off and happening Eh, they at least got a bunch of publicity and press out of it. But the reality is that if they do pull this off, what this will do for the growth of the sport of lacrosse cannot be I – mean, it's going to be hard to estimate it because I think that it's off the charts huge in terms of, of if they pull this off and they really are a pro sports – uh, organization that over 14 days is going to be one of the only things on TV to watch uh, consistently. And lacrosse does translate really well to TV. More importantly, the way the PLL does professional sports is going to be really interesting to see. Even if you're not a lacrosse fan, 
you turn tune into a PLL game, you're going to be a little bit weirded out in a good way by the cool uh, uh, sky cam angles that they're taking, by the access to the huddles, by the access to the field. Um, you, there's a lot of things that are that the PLL did well in their first season that I think they'll do even better in their second season that is going to translate really well to capturing the casual fans' attention, at least during this time. I'm not sure how many long-term fans are going to pick up from something like this, but obviously it's going to be considerable enough. So even if this isn't the boom that some people think it may be in terms of the the popularity of pro lacrosse, it is going to be huge in terms of revenue building for them during this time and just an overall exposure and, and giving them the chance. Is, is, uh, I believe Paul uh, Rabel is a Gary V guy, and uh, if you were uh, – Gary V would give him exactly this advice. Gary V would tell him, don't be a pussy, put this out there, be the first ones to do it, risk it, everything – and get out. And, and when I say risk everything, man, I'm not, I, I, I don't mean that I think these guys are redu- taking unnecessary risks. I think this is a very smart, calculated risk. And I think there's virtually zero risk involved in this. I mean, you take 300 people, you put them in this environment, and the chance that all 300 of them come out of this alive is going to be really high, even if they have a couple of COVID issues. So I think this is a smart move by the PLL, as I've already said, but I think that in terms of the the growth of the sport and what it'll do, it's hard to gauge, but I know at least they're going to gain viewers, they're going to gain some fans, and um, and, and during that time, uh, it's going to be huge for them. Uh, so that's it. Moving forward here, what do we got? Today is only Tuesday, so we're going to put this out today, and then uh, we'll probably put out another video, you know, uh, video review, uh, do some uh, training kind of crap here, probably pick back up with the 2-3-1, 1-3-2 uh, triangles offense a little bit, maybe do some more film reviews. So this week, I'm just every week, I'm just waiting for the news to accumulate to the point that I've got time uh, to ramble about it for 20 to 30 minutes, which is what we just did today. And then uh, we're going to have a lot more transfer news also to talk about here in the coming weeks. And that'll be fun because talking, just it's weird. It's weird looking at college across right now and college sports in general because it's happening in basketball and football. It's weird, but more importantly, at least for me, because I'm paying more attention to lacrosse, it is crazy to see lacrosse kind of be like a professional sport. Uh, in terms of the off-season movement of players. Uh, We've never seen anything like this. We will continue to see it, I suspect, for the next couple of years as we're dealing with the fallout uh, from the COVID thing and from teams and their rosters getting a little bit backlogged. I'm wondering, I think this year, you're going to see the rich get richer. I think by next year and the year after, you may see that talent kind of start spreading out again the way that it had. But I predict because of this, we are going to have a blue blood-filled Final Four, probably a blue blood filled quarterfinal round where these blue blood teams that are just stacking their rosters now with Ivy League transfers and uh, and transfers from other schools. Uh, I think that you're going to see a just a lot of blue blood programs do really well next year. I don't think you're going to see some of the mid majors do as well, at least not make as deeper runs into the tournament simply because a lot of these blue bloods are stacked. Maryland stacked, Syracuse stacked, UNC stacked, Notre Dame stacked. Um, Mar- uh, did I already say Maryland? Hopkins is going to be stacked because I think that the coaching staff is going to bring in some new players for them. So I think you're going to see what Hopkins hoped for and a little bit of a, a first-year coach push where the team is going to overachieve in this first year, and then that will help get them back a little bit. So you're going to see the Big Ten and the ACC 
dominate things, I think, for the next two years and before things kind of go back to what they were. I don't think you're going to see as many upsets next year as you saw in previous seasons uh, outside of maybe some conference upsets where the, where the transfers have, have uh, kind of gone and beefed it up. Uh, you know, Penn State hasn't picked up anybody huge. So I thought that was a little bit odd, but it, the, the the transfer portal and the transfer season isn't over yet. So you're going to see a lot more of that stuff happen. So that is all. Thank you for watching or listening. As always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. You can go to laxfactor.com, get hats, t-shirts, all sorts of cool swag and things of that sort, shorts. Um, we have lacrosse t-shirts that are branded for the podcast and lax factor. And then we have t-shirts that are just random lacrosse, cool t-shirts, cool messages, and all of that good stuff. So share the video with everybody. Thank you for watching and listening and thank you for helping us get to a hundred episodes. Thank you for getting us consistently over a thousand views, a thousand listens. We typically do almost a thousand views on YouTube alone for every episode. Thanks to you guys. But then all of our other, uh, off YouTube crap, we have the anchor.fm, uh, anchor.fm forward slash lax factor. If you want to listen via audio, we're everywhere else where podcasts are Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. We're out there as well. So across all platforms, Every episode's doing a thousand plus religiously, and I can't thank you guys enough for that for making this just a legitimately viable, viable side gig. A lot, one thing I wanted to say: a lot of people get the impression this is my full time job. How ridiculous would that be, and how broke would I be if this was my full time job? I uh, last year the channel I think cleared you know enough to go on a really really nice family vacation and to buy me some additional cool gear. So I pretty much got a vacation, an additional HD camera, uh, this tablet and a bunch of other things off the channel. But this is just a, a, a random hobby. I make this this season, especially I this is nothing but a time burner and a time waster for me. I will make almost nothing on uh, literally compared to the time that we end up putting in to, or I end up putting in to make this happen. I will make zero off of this this year even though i won't uh, it generates revenue but the time spend you know my day job uh my day job as a web developer for arc media group if you need web design services i never plug myself because i'm not a whore but uh, if you need some web design services arcmediagroup.com a a r c media group.com uh web developer e-commerce is my specialty uh more importantly and then marketing uh e-commerce uh, businesses uh, more specifically so Web developer is my day job. It pays a hell of a lot well than the podcast game, but at some point, you know, you never know what will happen as I just continue to blow up and become the most important uh, media personality in the lacrosse world, which is what's slowly but surely happening. So, ha, I, I kid. I kid. I'm very sarcastic. Um, so thank you. Again, I'm rambling now, so thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Laxfactor.com. Like and subscribe. Hoost is out. Out. <laughs>